Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. Amen. So we're going to continue on in the book of Mark. We're picking up in Mark chapter 6. And uh, I hope that you're enjoying this series. I hope that you're, you're seeing some things that we're pulling out of the book. Last week we learned that it always makes a difference when Jesus passes by. Like he is the difference maker. And so today we're going to talk to you about, and this is not because of what we're doing or not because it's football season, but it's game time, y'all. And I started to put get in the game, but if you were like a 90s kid and, and you remember the, the EA Sports, get in the game, you know, that kind of thing going on. I didn't put that because then you would be distracted, but I just distracted you anyway. But uh, it's game time. And so today we're going to focus on what it means to be a disciple. And this goes right along with the vision of our church this year because we've really focused in this year on our teachings about being a disciple and what it means to be a disciple. And so there is a separation, like you can believe in something and it not change your behavior, right? You can follow something and it changes your direction and it changes your behavior because you can believe all day long and it not change what you do. But if you're following someone or you're following somebody, it's going to change your direction because when that person you're following, that car you're following in front of you, when they turn, what do you got to do? You got to turn. And so the disciples have been followers of Jesus. And here's the interesting thing to me about them being followers of Jesus. They followed Jesus, and they had the faith to give up everything to follow him. Like they gave up their life to follow Jesus. They give up their jobs, they give up their careers, they give up possessions, and they begin to follow him. And so they're in the beginning of this journey, but we know now that in Mark chapter 6, they had to understand that there was a difference in believing and following, but there's also a difference in following and being a disciple. And this was their turning point. This was, the, this was their moment in time in Mark chapter 6 where they had to become disciples. And that was a process they started. By the way, you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be great. I'm going to never make a mistake again. I'm never going to fail. That's not the way it works. This was the beginning of their process, and Jesus understood that. Jesus also understood that they had already seen some things. So the disciples gave up everything and they began to follow Jesus and they saw crowds of people come to him. They saw crowds of people come and come to Christ and become saved and get healed and demons cast out and, and lame men you know, walk in and, and all of that. They saw all that and they were like, wow, this is really cool. We're and so they were part of the crowd. Listen, they were part of the crowd. They were just kind of on the inner circle. So they were servants. They were the ones who served in the church. They were the ones who did the things in the church, right? They were, they were close to Jesus. But I, in this chapter, we will see that what Jesus did not want them to do is they did not want them to be groupies. They did not want, he did not want them to just kind of, ooh, yeah, we get to be close to Jesus. We get to be the cool kids in class. We're sitting at the cool table at lunch. 
He would call them to something greater. He would call them to be disciples of Jesus. And they would face obstacles. We know that they had already seen Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus walking on the face of the earth? Healing people, teaching like no one's ever taught before. The greatest teacher in the history of the world. Can you imagine hearing Jesus, seeing Jesus perform miracles, and then people rejecting him? We learned that a couple of chapters ago, this town who was not Jewish, so Jewish people didn't really go. They avoided this town. Jesus went to that town, cast out a demon-possessed man who was, who was possessed by legions of demons. So thousands of demons. We know that like a, a legion of, of soldiers was about 6,000 soldiers. And we don't know how many demons that was, but either way, that's a lot, right? And rather than the townspeople being grateful for what Jesus had done for one of their own, they said, whoa, Jesus, you got to get out of here. We don't want you around here. You know, we're more concerned about our economy. Check out the message from a couple of weeks ago to understand what we're talking about. And the man wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, 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 you got to stay. Why? Because the very town that rejected Jesus had the one man go back to the town and evangelize. And so when Jesus went back, there were throngs of people waiting on him. That's the power of your story. That's the power of you telling what Jesus has done for you. But that wasn't all because Jesus also went back to his hometown. And his own hometown rejected Jesus. Jesus said, hey, you know, prophet is not without honor except in his own home. And the Bible says that he was only able to do, I like this, he was only able to do just a few miracles. I don't know about y'all, but I'd take a few, right? So Jesus was only able to lay hands on a few people and heal them. Oh, okay. But because of the lack of their faith, they didn't. So Jesus experiences that. Then he looks to his disciples, and he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. We'll talk about that. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bag, no bread, no copper for their money belt. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. And he healed them. And they healed them. So understand what's going on at this point. Here you have Jesus who has healed people, he's cast out demons, he's shown the ultimate power. The disciples have sort of followed along, and they've been, they've been the trail people, right? They've been the protectors, they've been the people that's kept the crowd away. And now Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, hey, listen, you fellas, you've been on the bench long enough, now it's time to get in the game. You've, you've kind of followed long enough, but now it's time to be active. How many of you know you can pull for your favorite team and you can say, we won. Some of y'all can't say that this morning, but I can. We won, right? We won. And you can do that. You can say, we won and we did this and we're doing. And then how many of you know you ain't part of we? It's still they because you ain't never suited up. You're not going to practice. You're not lifting the waist. You're not doing the thing, right? You're doing none of that. You just are a fan. And even though you may never suit up, you got the opportunity to be part of a team that's undefeated, that's never lost, right? 
Jesus calls us to be more than we are on their own, on our own. Jesus is calling you to be part of something bigger than you can be part of, listen to me, anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else in the world. You cannot be part of something as big as you are when you come to church on Sunday. Yeah, there are churches that are bigger, but we are part of the body of Christ. And if more churches understood that, we would be in a better place. Jesus calls us to be more than we are on our own. Because it's in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that we tap into, that we become part of His body. And I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell you again, that you, not, you never look as much like Jesus as you do when you come together on a Sunday morning. Because when we come together on a Sunday morning, we are completing physically the body of Christ. I think it's really important. And what Jesus did is he called the disciples to go from spectators to be participators. Jesus actually said it another way. In Matthew chapter 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenty. In other words, there's a lot to do. But the laborers, the workers are few. In other words, there's a lot to do, but there's a few people we can count on. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, workers, into his harvest. He didn't say, therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out spectators. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out those who don't want to do anything. Those who, I shouldn't say this, come every once in a while. Those who come and do what they want to do and don't do what they need to do. Those who, all right, I'll stop. Y'all get the point, right? Jesus calls us to be participators. Jesus calls you to be part of the body. And you cannot be part of the body if you are not part of the body. Oversimplification, but true. The invitation to be part of something greater than yourself is open. Like you have the open invitation, not to be part of an institution. But you have an open invitation to be part of a movement, y'all. There are people who are searching for belonging. They're searching to to become and be part of something. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for what God can give them, but they're searching for that in all the wrong places. That's why the world is going through what it's going through, because it's confused and does not have direction and live according to to the Word of God. What God is calling you to be part of is a movement. His movement that he started 2,000 years ago. And you're missing out on the opportunity to make a difference. That's the ultimate thing that people want to do is they want to make a difference. Right? Like When they get to the end of their life, they're on their deathbed. They don't regret the things necessarily they did. They regret what they didn't do. 
They regret the things they wish they would have done. And what I'm just trying to get you to understand today is being part of the body of Christ, being part of His church, is more than Sunday morning. It's more than opening doors and serving in the kids' ministry and, and, and coming to church on Sunday. It's more than any of that. It's making an impact. It's being part of the movement. It's being part of what Jesus gave His life for. So let's go back to what Jesus did. So Jesus calls the disciples. He tells them, you've got to get off the bench. You've got to get out of the weight room. You've got to get out of the treatment room. You've got to stop just being a practice dummy. And you've got to get to work. And so He calls them off the bench and He says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you out two by two. And that's significant because Jesus sent them out not by themselves. He sent them out in pairs, which means you are not supposed to do life. You are not supposed to do ministry alone, but it also means you've got to do it with the right people. The problem is we're doing things with the, we're doing the, we try to do the right things with the wrong people or we're just doing the wrong things with the wrong people. And we are called to do our part. We're called to prepare. Yes, it was necessary for the disciples to follow and listen to the teachings and pray and learn how to pray and and do all that they were learning to do. But eventually you have to put it to practice, y'all. And what you're called to do to prepare is you're called to read God's Word. You're called to to worship Him. We talk about this a lot, but you're called to worship Him. So you're called not only to worship on a Sunday morning corporately, but you're called to worship individually, privately, in your home. You're called to, to, to pray, to read your Bible. You're called to give. You're called to serve. But you're also called to be part of godly community. To help lift one another up and so they can lift you up when you need it. Like That's our preparation. And then look, He gave them power. So can I just explain this to you? Jesus gave them the power that you and I have readily accessible to us today. This is before Jesus' death and resurrection, so it's before He sent the Holy Spirit. So what this means is that Jesus had to give them the power in the same way that He would anoint people in the Old Testament. It had to be a special anointing. Jesus did this with the disciples to be able to go out and do. Now, because Jesus has come, because Jesus is is death and he's risen and he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And when we ask Jesus into our heart, we ask God to forgive us of our sin. He gives us a portion of the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And that power that's inside of us is the same power that Jesus had to give them, the same power they would receive upon the day of the baptism, right, the day of Pentecost. It's the same power that you have access, that you have inside of you now if you're a believer of God. And you need to understand that that is what you are called, that is what Jesus expects, that's what God expects you to walk in. So you need to stop living a defeated life. You need to stop acting like whatever situation and circumstance you're going through is the one that's going to take you out, take you down, and defeat you because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And the disciples prove it right here by going out and casting out demons, laying hand on the sick, and bringing people to Jesus. So he gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing. In other words, he's telling them to do their part. 
You do your part and you trust and you obey and I'll do the rest. That's what, that's what God is saying. So let's break that down. But first we've got to talk about the motivation. So today we're just going to have a conversation. Is that all right? Just going to talk to you about it. Like what is your motivation? What is our motivation? Are we, are you, because you determined the we, y'all know that, right? More focused on keeping or on reaching? Are you more focused on being comfortable, non-committed, so that you, and here's what I mean by that. Are you more focused on, well, I know we have a marriage conference coming up. I told you I was, I was feeling a little chippy today. I know we have a marriage conference coming up, and that would be something really good to do, but something else might come up. I don't know if I want to commit to it right now because I might want to do something else. I might want to. You with me? Like, do you want to be comfortable and live your life how you want to live it? Or are you going to be committed and do what God's called you to do? Because if we're more focused on keeping than we are reaching, and we're going to be our 24 and no more, then we're just going to shut the place down, right? Not going to worry about it anymore because that's not what we're called to do. That's not who we're called to be. God sent us here to plant a church so that we could reach people. And we've done that over the years. And maybe we need to do a little better job of the keeping part. But we've got to get to the point where it's about more than just two or three people that's focused on the keeping and the reaching. You understand where I'm going? I better stop because I'm going to go off on a tangent and get in trouble. So Jesus had a part, and his part was this. He sent them out in twos, so he sent them out in pairs so that they would be lifting one another up and strengthening one another so they wouldn't be alone, so that they would have a system to hold one another up and and help. And Jesus gave them authority. This is really, really important. Jesus gave them authority, but he did not go with them. Like, if you take a soldier of the United States Army, doesn't matter the branch. They are representative of the, of the United States of America. And no matter how low they are, if they're a, if they're a private just getting in, just getting out of boot camp, they're a, they're, they represent the President of the United States. And regardless of what you think about the President of the United States, it's the most powerful man in the world, Right? And so that soldier is representative of the greatest nation on earth with the most freedoms and all that kind of stuff and the President of the United States. They are representative of authority. When you're a follower of Jesus, when you're a disciple of Jesus and you're operating and living and going according to him, you are representing God Almighty. And there is no other higher power. And Jesus didn't tell you just to go. He gives you the power in order to be able to do that. So Jesus did his part. And then we know that that would carry out where Jesus would go and he would be obedient and he would go to the cross and he would die and and he would take care of the devil and hell and keys and, and he would come back resurrected and he would ascend to heaven. So that's his part. He has given us the authority. But the disciples had to do a part as well. And the first part they had to do is they had to trust. 
So they had to trust in God. They had to trust when Jesus said, hey, don't take anything, just go. And he also told them, we'll talk about this in a second, not to get distracted. But the first thing you got to do is you've got to trust. So they had to go. Where you are in your walk with God will determine his level of instruction and equipping. Think about that. Like where you are in your walk with God, where you are in your discipleship, where you are in your relationship with God, how deep you go on your own, that's going to determine the level of instruction and equipping. Because if God can't trust you with the small things, He's not going to give you something big to do. And that doesn't mean you have to do all the small things perfectly. That doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that you're going to be doing and you're going to mess up and you're like, oh man, I'm on the chopping block now. I'm going to get fired. It just means that God wants you to obey. And really, that's what Mark chapter 6 is about. They just had to do it. Paul, there you go. Just do it. Right? Just do it. The problem I've seen so many times is people are like, is God calling me? Is not God calling me? Is God calling me? Is not God? Is not? And they just have this paralysis by analysis, and they won't just do anything. And rather than just continuing to serve and continuing to do, they just stop and they freeze. And they're like, well, I don't know if God's calling me to do it for sure, so I'm just not going to do anything. That's not okay. We are not called to be spectators. We're not called to sit still. We're not called to watch things pass by. We're called to be active. We're called to do things. And then it took focus. So you need to understand this part. Like it took focus. They had already seen Jesus be rejected twice. And in his instruction, he says, hey, look, if you go, shake the dust off your sandals. If somebody rejects you, keep going. Rejection is part of life, y'all. Difficulties is part of life. You can be on a mission for God and it not be perfect. And you still be living right and you still be doing the right things. But you can't be distracted by those things that go wrong. What we found during COVID is the depth of Christianity in our country was very shallow. Because as soon as we couldn't explain it, as soon as things didn't change, we threw our hands up, backed out of the room, and we walked away. Focus, longevity, determination, not going to quit. That's what it takes. So Jesus died. He starts preaching to a crowd. Jesus didn't die, sorry. John the Baptist was beheaded. We may come back to that. Jesus starts preaching to a crowd. The Bible tells us there were 5,000 people, right? Well, it says 5,000 men. So in reality, there's more like 20 to 25,000. And what I wanted to do was show you what twenty to 25,000 people look like. So I showed you a basketball arena. Who is that? Oh, that's North Carolina Tar Heels. 
How about that? Could have showed you Duke, but it's... Could have showed you Clemson, but it's... So I had to show you a real basketball stadium. All right, so that's side the point. Actually, it is, because imagine Jesus standing in the center. And he's preaching to this crowd right here. And his disciples, allow me to indulge, his disciples are sitting over here next to him, and they're going, hunger pains. I've heard this one before. And then Peter, because it would have had to have been Peter, goes over to Jesus and goes, Hey, Jesus. Great sermon, by the way. Um, the people, you know, we're concerned about the people. There's children in the room. Um, they're getting hungry, so we should send them away. Not that we, we, we could listen to you all day, Jesus. It's all good, right? We, but the people. Jesus. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, you feed them. That's not in the budget, Jesus. We don't have enough money to go and buy food for everybody. And I don't think DoorDash is able to deliver for twenty to 25,000 people because 5,000 men, if they had their wife and kids with them, that's twenty to 25,000. I don't think that's going to happen. So remember, Jesus is standing right there and all these people have to be fed. And then Jesus looks at him and he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. In other words, what Jesus does is he looks at him and he says, what do you have? We don't have the budget for that. We can't do that. We don't have the means to go and get the food to bring it all back for twenty to 25,000 people. Jesus, I mean, come on. And Jesus goes, well, stop telling me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. And they go, well... We got five loaves and two fish. <laughs> that ain't going to make it, Jesus. They brought their petition to God. I think that's important for us to remember. That no matter what you're going through, no matter how impossible the odds are, they brought their petition to God. They trusted him because they had seen him come through. They weren't quite to the point where they had the faith to know that whatever it is, you're in charge, God, we got you. They would learn that, but it would take time. But they, they trusted Jesus enough to know you're in charge. So they brought their petition to Jesus. But God's blessing starts with your obedience. Please get this. Jesus said, well, what do you have? We are so focused on what we don't have and what we do need that we forget what's in our hand. We forget what we do have because we are so trusting on us and what we can do and what our network of people can do and what's in our bank account and what we have access to that we forget that it don't matter because God's in charge. And Jesus looked at him and said, well, tell me what you do have. We have five loaves, two minutes. We talk about generosity. Living an open-handed life is the key to God's blessing. And let me just say this. By God's blessing, what I am not talking about is send me a dollar and I'll send you a cloth and you'll never have a problem ever again in your entire life. I'm not talking about that. 
And I'm not talking about getting a Mercedes, and I'm not talking about getting a bigger house. I'm, not, I'm talking about God blessing you with more than you need so that you can do more than you can now on your own. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about God's blessing, living an open-handed life. Because the reality is if you're just trying to hold on to everything you got like this right here, you're not willing to give and God wants to see a willing heart. You want God to add to what you already have. So you've got your pile of toys right here and you're saying, okay, God, I've got my pile of toys and I've worked really hard for this. I've made a lot of sacrifices for this. I've got this. Now, God, add to it. Give me more stuff. Give me more things. I need more. I want more. If I had more, I would do. But then you get more and it's like, well, not quite enough. Just need a little bit more. Well, your math is all wrong. You're wanting God to add, but God wants to multiply what you bring to Him. That's the part that I want you to get. That if you'll just obey God and you'll just trust Him to take out of your pile and give it to God, He will multiply what you bring. And it'll be so much greater than what He could add. Because his math is better than yours. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So when they ate and were filled, they being the crowd, the 20 to 25,000 people, when they ate and were filled, they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of fish. Now those who had eaten loaves were about 5,000 men. No offense, ladies. No offense, kids. They didn't count y'all. But you were there. So that's where you get the 20 to 25,000. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Jesus blessed it. Jesus, the Son of God. I don't think had to do it. Why? Because he's 100% God and he's 100% man. And I think Jesus could have took the fish. I don't even think he had to have the fish. But it's the way God chooses to bless. It's how God chooses to do through his people what we bring. It's how God chooses to do it. I wouldn't do it that way if I were him. But it's how God chooses to do it. And he took what they gave him, what they brought him, and he presented it to God the Father. And he asked God to bless it. He dedicated it to God. And that's the point. He took it to his Father. And then he returned it to the disciples. And this is a part I've never really thought about other than up until a couple of years ago. The blessing wasn't for the disciples. They were just a conduit for the blessing to run through. Jesus could have blessed it and piled it up and there had been this huge pile of fish and, and bread. and the people. But that's not the way it happened, I don't think. I think Jesus took what they brought, they gave it to the disciples, they took the baskets and they were passing out the bread and they were passing out the fish and they were doing the thing and the basket just never ran out. 
I don't think the disciples one time had to go back and get more. I just think the basket just kept refilling on its own. Think about that. The blessing wasn't for the disciples. What if they would have brought the, the, the fish and the loaves to Jesus and he would have divvied it out among the 12 disciples and they would have taken that and they would have been, all right, whoo, stinks to me, y'all. This is good, though. They would have been full. But the twenty to 25,000 people would have been starving. That's not the job of the church, y'all. The job of the church isn't to come in and close our doors and be our four and no more. The job of the church is to reach and to bring them and to take the gospel of Jesus. That's what our job is. The disciples gave it away. The miracle did not happen in the master's hands. It happened through the disciples' hands. Because Jesus, they brought it, was blessed by God, was returned, and then it was multiplied. Man, I hope y'all get that. I hope this is more than just a Bible story. If all I'm doing is telling you Bible stories, then I'll give you my resignation today, right? And I'll go be a kid's pastor somewhere. Because they're a lot of fun. Not saying y'all not. So here's some final takeaways. You must bring what you have to God for it to be blessed. This is not going to get blessing. Right. And it has to be given away to be multiplied. When he when the disciples gave it away through faith That's when it was multiplied and it was more than what they needed because they took 12 baskets up. Leftovers for 20 to 25,000 people. You're going to live a blessed life. You've got to do it with an open hand. Amen? That's what I want for you so much. Would you stand with me? We're going to keep it simple today. I'm going to ask you to pray where you are. Here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to ask God through the Holy Spirit, what's He trying to say to you? And I'm going to ask you to ask God for your heart to be open to this message. Maybe you need to listen to it again. I'm sorry. But maybe you need to listen to it again. I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to your word. It's your word, God, to your spirit, to what you want us to do. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would deal with hearts of people right now, wherever they're listening. God, you deal with their hearts to be more generous and to be more obedient, God, because your blessings begin with our obedience. God, that's what I want for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Those of you who are online, those of you who are in the room, thanks for being here. If you're new here, text that word CONNECT. If you're new here and you're in the room, go back. We've got a gift for you at the back table. A team will be there waiting on you. And uh, we just want to say thank you. Otherwise, have a great week. Go be the, what somebody needs, right? 
and we'll see you next week.